the presentation of anarchism, anarchism. as social philosophy which aims at the emancipation, economic, social, political, and spiritual of the human race. The emancipation. Anarchist Essays is brought to you by Loughborough University's Anarchism Research Group. For more information on the ARG, see the link in the show notes or follow us on Twitter at ARGLBORO. Anarchism and Nationalism Chinese Anarchist Envisioning of Hong Kong in the Early 1970s by Li Qixing. In many Asian contexts, anarchism is a political tradition strictly associated with nationalism. There are two very prominent examples. The first is the age of globalization, anarchist and anti-colonial imagination by Benedict Anderson, and the second, anarchism and Chinese revolution by Arif Derlich. They respectively tease out how anarchism informed the national consciousness in late 19th century Philippines and early 20th century China by providing the revolutionaries an anti-colonial and modernizing envisioning of their nations. If both the cases are considered within the framework of modern nation-states, anarchism would be set in a paradox that on the one hand opposes the state power but constructs or reinforces national consciousness on the other hand. Judy Butler has one question that, although anarchism could challenge the state power through local forms of resistance such as local community building, it is still unable to escape the nation. It resists to the state, but unintentionally reinforces the functioning of a nation. Consequently, anarchism becomes a pretext for the existence of the state in the name of opposing the state. In short, Although anarchism has been well developed as an anti-state politics, its tension with nationalism needs more rethinking. The question would be how to destabilize nationalism with an anarchist envisioning. This essay is an attempt to contemplate this question through the political idea of M. Chung In, who is an important anarchist figure in Hong Kong during the early 1970s. Let's go straight to the story of Mun Chung-in. In fact, Mun Chung-in only became an anarchist in the year of 1970, but his name had been known in 1969 when he published an essay titled From Dream to Despair, or in Cantonese, Chong Hei Mon Do Chut Mong. The essay complained that the corruption of a local community college called Chu Hai College which was established by two Guomindan's generals in Guangzhou in 1948, but was moved to Hong Kong after the Civil War. This essay received a wide reverberation among the general public and triggered the ever first student demonstration in Hong Kong, which lasted for a week. The conclusion of the essay may be the most striking part, which says, quotes, perhaps to be a Chinese in this era is pathetic, but to be a Chinese strand in a colony is much more so. We are indeed sure that China needs us. It is by this calling that although nowadays we are stranded in the colony, we still need to walk through the darkness and toward the light. 
that China needs us. It's also the reason why we need to face up to the suffering China. End quote. This is the ending of the essay in which Um Chongying tries to articulate the corruption of Zhuhai College to a wider problem of Chinese diaspora in Hong Kong. We have to bear in mind that 1960s Hong Kong was basically a refugee society composed by peasant class, landlord, cultural elites, as well as Kuomintang sympathizers, soldiers, and generals. They all escaped the Chinese Civil War to Hong Kong since 1949. At that time, there was a very distinctive diasporic sentiment among the Chinese refugees in Hong Kong. That is, a very strong distrust of political partisanship, including both the Kuomintang and the CCP. Some scholars would call this diasporic sentiment the cultural China. That is, an identification exclusively with the Chinese traditional culture instead of the Chinese political partisanship. In this sense, Meng Chongyin's essays and activists variation of this larger diasporic sentiment of 1960s Hong Kong. As Zhuhai College was officially backed up by Kuomintang at that time, Meng Chongyin regarded the corruption of the Zhuhai College as an epitome of the general failure of the Kuomintang to cultivate free-minded youth for liberating China from the hand of the CCP. He also contended that such a failure is precisely why many Chinese youngsters are so willing to stand in a colony, which is Hong Kong, without any desire of homecoming. So the primary initiative of the essay was not simply to reform the college, but to explore how the Chinese diaspora youth in Hong Kong could contribute to their homeland beyond any partisanship, which, for Meng Chongying, is corrupted. In this sense, the essay should be read as a diasporic work in search of ways to mobilize the diasporic youth in Hong Kong and mobilize them to confront all partisan forces in China for the sake of returning to their Chinese cultural homeland. The demonstration failed to achieve any significant fruits, but Meng Chongying's essay nevertheless opened an era of student youth activism which has been locally remembered as the fiery years, or in Cantonese, Fo Hong Lin Doi. The name of the fiery years, the fire, does not only symbolize the passion of the student youth activism which came to the stage in the 1970s, but also the popularity of many leftist theories such as Marxism and Maoism. For example, Within the local universities, the student unions were dominated by a group of student activists called the Nationalist Fraction, or in Cantonese, Guosui Pai. With Maoism as its ideology, the Nationalist Fraction basically served to construct a modernized new China through supporting Maoist Chinese revolution in Hong Kong. As I've said, Meng Chongyin was basically a nationalist. Some nationalist leaders in the universities would even call him as the teacher of their political enlightenment before joining the nationalist fraction. However, Meng Chongyin did not join the nationalist fraction nor even become its sympathizer. Instead, he became an anarchist after the demonstration against the Chuhai College. 
Here, let's go back a bit to the scenario of the demonstration. Beside the students from the Chuhai College, the demonstration also accommodated many university students returning to Hong Kong from studying abroad. One of them was Augustine Mok Chiu Yu, who is an other locally prominent anarchist. He had been an active participant of the anti-war movement when studying in Australia. Min Chong Yin met Augustine Mok during the protests, and they shared a similar aspiration to instigating anti-colonial revolution in Hong Kong. In 1917, one year after the protests, they gathered some other young revolutionaries and published an anarchist magazine titled "The Seventeenth Biweekly," or in Cantonese, "Seventeen Days in Hong Kong." In the name of anarchism, the Seventeenth Biweekly was primarily interested in bringing Hong Kong into the global uprisings during the 1960s that connects Europe and the States to the Third World anti-colonial struggles. The first issue of the Seventeenth Biweekly, for example. Stated clearly that the magazine is primarily concerned with the global new left movements, and therefore included reports of global anti-war movement as well as Chinese translation of interview with Herbert Marcus. Wu Zhongyi, as the shelf editor of the Seventeenth Biweekly, also contributed a bunch of articles introducing various new left movements in Europe and the States. Ranging from the free university and the hippies counterculture, he also attacked the nationalist fraction for turning a blind eye to many evil doing of Maoism during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Wu Zhongying's understandings of anarchism, as such, basically come from Europe and the States, especially the anarchist ideas developed there during the 1960s. On one occasion, he urged a contributor of the Seventeenth Biweekly to read the prologue of George Woodcock's *Anarchism: A History of Libertarian Ideas and Movements*, published in 1962. The prologue begins, "Quote: Anarchism, historically speaking, is concerned mainly with man in his relation to society. Its ultimate aim is always social change. A person." Attitude is always one of social condemnation, even though it may proceed from an individualist view of man's nature. Its method is always that of social rebellion, violence, or otherwise. End quote. Here, the connection between individual liberation and social change, emphasized by Woodcock's conceptualizing of anarchism, gave Wu Zhongying a justification. For his total rejection to all political partisanship, without violating his national sentiment that sees social change of China, but the most interesting part of Hong Kong anarchism during the early 1970s, maybe its anti-Maoist position, which generates numerous tensions with the Western New Left movements. Wu Zhongying's conception of anarchism was also a weapon to challenge Mao's ruling of China. As it's accused of Mao's mass mobilization in different revolutionary events, such as enforcing strict social control over、uh, individual liberty, this is why he would attack the nationalist faction in the name of anarchism. However, as is well known, many Western New Left movements during the 1960s mostly took up an uncritical Maoist position due to their anxiety to search for an alternative against the Cold War structure. 
1963, the New Life Review in the UK published an editorial article which titled "On Internationalism." In that article, the New Life Review editors accused the Sovereign Omelette of failing to incorporate the Third World into its theorizing of internationalism. And urged them to reconceptualize internationalism from the perspective of the third world, which was in the rise to challenge the Cold War structure. One of the significant results of this conceptualizing is somehow a romanticization of the Mao's China as the future internationalist utopia, and the belief that the revolution in China would somehow spread to Europe, the States, and even the entire world. This romanticization very soon became a general ethos of the new left in other parts of Europe, such as Norway. As such, when Mao Zedong wandered in Europe between 1971 and 1973, he often argued with the European new leftists over Mao's revolutionary status. On one occasion, for example, a Norwegian Maoist. Attempted to convince Mm about Mao's China as the world's ideal society, Mm replied that he felt like quote I just come from another planet with no conception of China, end quote. So we can see Mao、mm、Zedong's anarchism exposing the tension between diasporic Chinese nationalism in Hong Kong and new left internationalism in the West. On one hand. Diasporic Chinese nationalism in Hong Kong articulates a nostalgic imaginary of China as the cultural homeland, which remains outside of any political partisanship. On the other hand, New Left internationalism romanticizes Mao's China as a futuristic utopia. For Mao Zedong, anarchism was a method to connect the two, but ultimately entrapped in their tension without resolving. However, it was precisely in this paradoxical position that Mao Zedong could open up the possibilities in which nationalism is destabilized. In 1971, Mao Zedong contributed to the 70s directly an anarchist revolution proposal, which is titled "The Third Revolution," or in Cantonese, "Di San Ci Gaming." The proposal begins with Sun Yat-sen's famous allegory couplet, which says. Quote: The revolution has not yet succeeded. Converse, work hard. End quote. And based on this opening, Mao、mm、Zedong urges the students and youngsters in Hong Kong to get prepared for a local revolution, because it is their responsibility as the Chinese diaspora to do so. In other words, for Mao、mm、Zedong, the starting point of a local anarchist revolution should not be Hong Kong. But China, a local revolution in Hong Kong, for Mao Zedong, should be a continuation of the history of Chinese revolution. However, Mao Zedong was more ambitious to achieve an internationalist utopia as the ultimate goal of that revolution. As he said, "Quote: The ideal society in our mind entails a new social order, a new economic system, and a new culture." Our new epoch is the epoch of cooperation without class distinction, and also the epoch of beloved. In this new epoch, there will no longer be racial and state boundary. It is the epoch that we have the joy of freedom, 
No more governing power, dictating partisanship and the colony. No one could own a house, factory, and means of production because they all belong to the people. No more government. End quote. So here we can see that for Hu Chongying, an anarchist revolution in Hong Kong should be a national revolution that continues the unfinished project of Chinese revolution. But its ultimate goal is concerned with the globe, with the internationalist utopia. So the history of Hong Kong is completed here in this proposal. It has a national past, but also an anarchist and internationalist future. More importantly, it is precisely the expectation of a revolutionary future that the national past is destabilized. In conscripts of modernity, James Scott reminds us that the past is always constructed and reconstructed along with an expectation of the future which is generated from the anti-colonial person. As such, the past of the Chinese revolution is also reconstructed along with an expectation of an anarchist utopia. Sonnison never emerges as Chinese revolution as an anarchist revolution. Mun Chongying rewove the direction of this history through an anarchist lens, and consequently, the national past for the diaspora Chinese in Hong Kong is no longer the cultural homeland, but a revolution towards an anarchist utopia. In other words, the national origin has been relocated from the cultural homeland to an anarchist revolution. In the fire of the Tao, Giorgio Argenbanz reminds us that the concept of the origin is always a becoming without a fixed static location. This was precisely the power of anarchism in a particular national context. It could reinvent the origin, in which nationalism may be destabilized if not cease to exist or cease to function. Perhaps Judy Butler is right that anarchism could not escape nationalism. But anarchism is still capable to destabilize nationalism if it could activate and engender the rewriting process of the origin. Thank you for listening. To help others find Anarchist Essays, please rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're interested in anarchist ideas, why not check out the journal Anarchist Studies? For over 20 years, Anarchist Studies has been publishing original research on the history, theory, and practice of anarchism. For more information, visit www.lwbooks.co.uk forward slash anarchist studies.